Welcome to the Fan Education Podcast and in this episode we're going to talk about how to land your dream job. So when I talk about this, um, I'm going to be talking at this kind of from my own experience, um, very much kind of aimed at getting a job in an agency because that's that was my dream job. If that isn't your dream job, and I completely understand that, you have to probably just swap out uh, agency for dream client and it's still going to be the same things. The things that get you into an agency are going to be good work, knowing the right people, impressing those people, and when you get the opportunity, performing really, really well. That isn't going to change. Um, whether you you know want to land a, a big client, you know whatever it is, you're still going to need to build a good portfolio, impress the right people, show that you're worth it, and if they do give you a chance, prove yourself. So it's completely applicable. But I just think that it's worth telling it from my point of view. Uh, so I can be specific about landing a job in a dream agency. And the reason being is that's what happened to me. But also, if you want to land bigger, better clients, part of that which people don't talk about is you need experience working with big clients to understand what they need and what they require and how they measure success and what problems they're having. And that knowledge and experience and, and hopefully success is invaluable and you're certainly not going to get that if you're on your own or you're a small studio because if they're a big desirable client you're going to be having to outcompete bigger more experienced more capable studios and agencies so what you might find is if you wanted to set up on your own it might be a case of you have to take 6 months to a year of working somewhere else to gain that experience to then leave to you know be in with a chance of landing those high profile clients so if that is the case then this hopefully will be helpful so I guess for me, it all starts back at Falmouth University doing my foundation. I just decided I'd got into Manchester and Warwick to do art history. Um, I loved it. But when I realised that the amount of writing uh, required to do all the um, dissertations was just overwhelming, I decided, you know what, maybe I'll just pause this for a year because um, I still want to do design and, and art and that kind of stuff. So I went to Falmouth University to do a foundation. And uh, while I was at the foundation um, for a year, I uh, lived like a pig. I grew an afro. I put on, I think, a couple of stone from too many McDonald's and basically just behaved like an animal. Certainly for the first six months of the year, um, I got all that out of my system and it was great fun. Uh, made some good friends. But it all came to a head one day when we were kind of preparing our portfolios and the teacher was sort of going, so where do you think what university would you like to go to? And, you know, having grown up in Cornwall and gone to school in Cornwall, I was desperate to leave. And I said, well, I'd like to go to either um, Brighton or Kingston. Uh, and I was met with laughter um, because they thought I was joking. Uh, I wasn't. I was quite serious. But they said, look, to be honest, you're not going to get in to either because your work isn't strong enough and we've not seen anything from you that tells us that you can change this. Um, by all means, you're welcome to try. And look, if you put the work in, you never know, you might get lucky. But we just looked at the sort of um, the requirements to get into Kingston. And for Kingston alone, being one of the best courses, you know, not just in the country, but in the world at graphic design, it's 80 to one to get in. So it's going to be pretty tough. So with that sort of uh, rousing pep talk, I left really motivated, as you can imagine. But actually, part of it was I wanted to think, do you know what? fuck you, I'm going to prove you wrong. And that actually did work. It lit a fire under me. I got quite pissed off. 
Um, it was the same when I failed my driving test. I wanted to prove uh, that bastard examiner wrong and I actually passed raging my second time around, but we're not going to get into that this episode. So what I did was I I, I made an effort. I, I decided actually to take the course seriously, decided to focus and try and work out what was needed to even get asked to submit my portfolio and go for an interview at Kingston. Turns out when you got there, you had to submit your portfolio, uh, take an entrance exam type thing and have an interview. In all of those situations, um, I don't know quite, I must have done enough right because I got in is the long, you know, the short part of the story. But it was this really interesting moment of I actually achieved what I set out to do. And I was, you know, I was really proud of how I managed to do it. And, and it made me realise, OK, if I if I do make an effort and I commit and I'm quite focused, these things can happen. So to get into Kingston was the dream. Um, it was an extremely hard course. The promises of spending the first year getting pissed and having a laugh were not true at all. Everyone on the course worked exceptionally hard, at, you know, like I said, harder than most of my mates who are in the third year. Um, and that was just your first year just working to prove yourself. And what I found was that 80 to 1 kind of stat was true. There were so many talented people there. But this was good because it, it forced you to kind of raise your game every week. You had to present work and have it like critiqued in front of everyone else, which toughened you up and, you know, reminded you of how far you had to go. And so part of all this was like, yeah, do you know what? I'm actually finding my feet. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. This this is definitely going to be the career for me uh, until I got to about the third year. And by that stage, I'd kind of been getting ground down by the minutiae and the kind of specific anal details of like typography and grids and layouts. And because at Kingston at that time, they were teaching like a, a world class edit, sort of editorial course for magazine layouts and poster design and typography. And don't get me wrong, it was it was all really good. I wasn't the best in the class by any means. So that was part of the reason probably why I was beginning to lose interest. But certainly it just became very, very kind of particular and it lacked any sort of fun or creativity. And it was this lack of creativity that was starting to sort of get me down. So I'm not quite sure how it happened, but I started to look at advertising because I always enjoyed the ads and, you know, particularly the TV ads where it's always a sort of makes you laugh or it's really powerful. And the more I looked into that, I was kind of, do you know what? I really like the creativity of what's in that industry that's lacking in how I saw graphic design at the time. And so I wanted to pursue that, but I didn't actually have anyone on the course or in the university who could teach me about advertising. So I kind of had to make it up myself. And what this meant was I had to build a portfolio of what I thought were ads uh, and not um, a portfolio of graphic design, because at that stage, kind of by the time I reached the third year, I decided I don't want to take a job in a design agency because it's going to bore me to death. Um, what I do want to do is try and get a job in an ad agency, but I didn't know what that took. So I had to kind of work it up, work it out, sorry, as I went along. Um, what I created was a portfolio of what I thought was advertising. Looking back, I, clearly I was really misguided. You know, there was no real ideas in the ads themselves. Um, but still, you know, I like I said, I was trying to do something bold. So I I deliberately punted that third year, risking my kind of degree and portfolio because I was convinced advertising was where I wanted to go. And I have to say it was really quite tough because once you leave the kind of the briefs and the confines and you're not doing the work, um, you're in and sort of uh, you're alone. And it, it, what was really tough was particularly at the end, um, you know, we're all graduating, we're all getting our grades 
and you you can always rank yourself in in the class and you kind of go well I'm probably top half maybe top third if I'm on a good day um, but it turns out I got a 2-2 two, two, um, and I was near, I would say definitely bottom half easily, maybe even bottom third of the whole group. And that's pretty depressing because, you know, I'd worked so hard to get into the course. It was one of the best courses. And now I was walking out um, with the portfolio and I wasn't really getting any job offers. And so it's this thing of like, have I just completely screwed this up? Have I got it all wrong? But I kind of knew I had to do this. I was like, well, what's the point? Because the briefs weren't going to help me. Um, advertising required something different. So I needed to build that portfolio. So it became very difficult because there was nowhere really to turn. And when you walk out of the university and you realise, well, my portfolio actually doesn't help me with anything because I can't get a graphic design job, really, especially not in the top agency because the work wasn't really right. Um, and I can't get a job in advertising because it doesn't demonstrate any creativity or ideas. So you're kind of buggered. And it turns out you need a partner as well in advertising. So I needed a copywriter, someone who does all the all the words. And so it really was, I left Kingston thinking, right, I've got to start over here. I've got to find someone to work with. And I think we're going to have to like learn on the job. And I have to say, I went through a couple of friends who sort of thought they fancied it, but then that didn't work out. And in the end, um, I teamed up with one of my best mates from school, uh, who was, you know, he'd done English at university at De Montfort. So he was a brilliant sort of writer for English. And so that made sense. He could do the words, I'll do the pictures. And we set about kind of um, learning on the job, trying to build our portfolio. And I guess the thing was, it was the best way to learn because, it, you know, it was hard. You know, you we were desperate to get a placement and you wouldn't get a placement unless your work was good, which meant you had to work hard. And even when you were doing placements, you were not guaranteed a job. So you would have to go on other interviews while at placement, while doing work to impress the current agency you're with and change your portfolio to impress someone at another agency. And this was all a real grind. And I certainly considered giving up several times into it. But fortunately, with his kind of drive and determination and support, we stuck it out. And after about 18 months, we did finally land our dream job in advertising. And one of the things that helped us land it, ironically, was that we didn't do a course in advertising from like Bucks or one of the well-known universities. And so our work was less formulaic. And although a bit bonkers and a bit complicated, that was kind of what they liked, that it wasn't conventional. So it was this weird start to my career. But what it kind of taught me was, okay, this could have been done very differently if I'd been a lot more strategic. And although my design education was really useful, as in it's, it's taught me so much, and since you know, actually using it since like as an art director and creative director, having that design background has been invaluable. And I've gone more into branding now, which obviously it's crucial there. So it's really, really helped. And it's given me a great understanding of the industry. But at the time, it didn't really help me in any way. And I know one of the biggest mistakes that we would often make was take a half-baked idea and think, well, if I design it to look like a professional ad, it will make it better. And the truth is that a lot of people would just go, well, all you've done is you've macked up a crap idea. And the problem is that you couldn't see it was a crap idea. That's why you've macked it up. And you think you can, like a turd, you can roll it in glitter and disguise that it's a turd and make it look more attractive. It doesn't change the fact that it's a turd and you didn't recognise it was a turd. So quite often, macking up work would even work against us. So it was this really strange thing. But like I said, the lesson that I learned was if I'd been a bit more aware and educated and strategic... 
I could have done this very differently and I could have probably actually, you would even question the need of going to Kingston University in the first place. I could have saved three years and just learnt um, to how to get a job in advertising anyway, possibly. The two things that I needed, realised I needed to do was one, I needed a plan of what I wanted to do. So that would streamline everything and kind of give me a North Star to follow of like where I want to work. Who do I get want to know? What are they looking for? And I needed money. And the only way I was able to actually stay long enough for doing it for 18 months was because my grandfather passed away and his inheritance was what paid my rent during that time. Because when you're on placement, you're on like 120 quid a week. It doesn't pay for hardly anything. And without that money supporting me, I mean, I I can't can't thank him enough for that. It changed my life. But it was definitely a reminder that actually, if you're going to stay in the game for as long enough to, to wait for a great job to turn around, money... Uh, plays a massive role in in being able, you know, you being able to say no to opportunities you don't want to take. So that was my kind of um, story of how I ended up landing my dream job. And I think that informed kind of what I would have done differently and what I would recommend to anyone who wants to get their dream job now. What I found is the problem for me quite often is as soon as you graduate, um, you take the first job that you're given and if you're not fortunate enough to be handpicked by some of the best places, um, then often you'll just take whatever job you're offered. And usually you will take it and think, well, I don't have to take this long term, but it will give me a, a bit of real life experience to work on some live briefs and sort of get to understand the business a bit more. Uh, and then when I've developed that experience, I can then leave and go back and get my top job in the agency that I wanted in the first place. But I'll be honest, this rarely happens And the reason being is because only unless you are working for like a sort of shit hot sort of young startup where you're given loads of opportunity and a great boss who's going to kind of support you and mentor you, will you actually end up doing one work that's like you're going to be proud of that's going to be able to showcase your skills because a lot of the time it's going to be for for smaller clients Um, and you're going to end up probably in a culture of people who are jaded because they had the same dream as you and they never escaped And what this does, it kind of, you will actually probably, if you're not careful, you'll end up picking up bad habits. And these bad habits combined with having your creative spark slowly dulled will mean that you will end up kind of worse than you were when you graduated and the agents and the industry is is making you jaded and probably cynical. Also, if you're in a bad agency or a small agency, the work is often over controlled by the client. There's very little value on creativity. It's all like, just get the work out. We need to sell stuff. Um, And this daily grind of doing work that doesn't excite you with people who don't inspire you um, will make you question your decision to stay in this industry in the first place. You know, we need to be doing work that is exciting, but it pushes us and we need to be around people who inspire us to be better. And that is hard to find outside of the top places. It's not impossible, but certainly that mistake of saying yes to what you think is like a part-time job in the industry that you never really quite escape from is the biggest trap. And that's something which I saw happen to many people. Um, and I wanted to say that's the first thing to avoid. If you can afford to like weigh up your plans and maybe hold out for a better place or you know build towards landing that dream job, or in fact, follow us, following this plan, which I'm just about to tell you about, then I think that's definitely worth doing. So this is my solution for landing your dream job and what I would do if I could relive my life all over again. Now, 
the first thing I would say is you need to build a nest egg. So this this is relevant whether you graduated with a design education or not. But the first thing is you need to build a nest egg, which is you need to work out what is six months worth of expenses, which will allow you to say no to anyone and everyone who comes along who you don't want to work with. Because when you do get that ideal opportunity, that's what you've been waiting for. That's when you say yes. So in order to make that work, two things need to happen. You need to basically consider taking on any work you can do, no matter how crap it is, just make sure that that job is well paid. I'm all for taking a job in like a sort of coal centre or wherever you can get it that will pay you money, which will allow you to save up for six months of expenses. So once you know what that six months is, and let's just say... For argument's sake, it's $2,000 a month of living in a city because let's say your dream job is to go to London or New York to work for the best agency in the world. Okay, so you're going to be in that city and you're going to need to be able to afford to live there for six months without having to do anything else apart from focus on getting a job. So therefore, let's say that's going to be $2,000 a month and that's going to be expenses, rent, bills, utilities and emergency money. Twelve grand is what you need to get. Never borrow the money from anyone else because this is just another way of adding pressure because they will expect the money back quite understandably and that pressure of kind of having to pay them back is going to mean, again, you're going to make bad decisions. So don't borrow the money, don't get a bank loan, don't do any of this because, and this is why, and this is crucial, the discipline needed to work at a crap job knowing that it's part of a plan to get your dream job and being able to kind of take home money and deliberately put it in a savings account that discipline and consistency that is a characteristic that you need to be successful because it shows that you can say no to temptation that you can stick out this daily grind and work toward a goal and when you've got your opportunity that's how you get your job and that's how you keep your job and you impress people because you are the one that turns up every day first you leave last you work harder you work weekends you outwork everyone until you're good enough to outwork and outthink everyone and this is where it starts this is the kind of it's like rocky four ways training in the snow of russia he hasn't got a gym but he's like you know like pushing carts and doing sit-ups this is where you earn that kind of like uh, you put in the long hours to build up for the big boxing fight kind of thing so while you're working on that crap job you spend any time away from that crap job working on your dream portfolio. What will happen is you need to work out, like I said, be strategic. Where do you want to work? What type of work do they do? What are they looking for from someone like you? And how are you going to impress them? So you need to curate a perfect portfolio just for them. Now, what you'll find is being at your crap job will only increase your desire to do work that you enjoy when you get home. And by this, I mean... You work at the crap job from nine till five and then from five till nine, you work at your portfolio and maybe on weekends as well. The more you can put time in, the better it will be. But I'm not going to say, you know, you need to be one of these kind of relentless hustle porn sort of people who get up at 4.30 and bash out pressure, press ups, cold showers, you know, and they meditate and then they just grind and get the day on and all this insanity like the rock. It's fine, but this is unrealistic. So certainly... Um, make sure that when you're at the job, the crap job, you do your best, but then it inspires you to go, this is not how I want my life to go. I'm going to work equally as hard, if not more, at building my portfolio when I'm outside the crap job. And a great example of this was when I was at uni, 
Um, I used to work at Sainsbury's on the checkouts. And what I would do was I found that if you take a receipt and a pen and you write on it, people will think the till is broken and they'll leave you alone. And so quite often I would spend my time on the till at the end and I would uh, every now and then get a pen and a piece of paper out and I'd write down ideas for work, uh, creative work, and I would get left alone. And I know that is awful now I think about it, but there's this point of like the whole time I was there, my mind was on where I wanted to get to in advertising. And I think that kind of, um, that motivates you and lights a fire under you because you can still remain nostalgic and romantic about where you're going to end up. So, you know, I think of all the great like, 80s movie secret of my success michael j fox uh love all money uh for love all money my favorite film um there is a context of like he's grinding to wait for the opportunity to uh use his like what his savings to buy his first property or his first investment in a business and it's that thing of you remain hungry because the crap job reminds you of how crap your life could be if you don't land your dream job so you need to create work that you're excited about that is you know keeps you passionate it's also you have this opportunity because you're not going to be constrained by clients telling you what to do so this although look don't get me wrong it's going to be probably full of spec work but that's okay if people get a sense of how passionate you are about it so do work that you're really excited by that you're really passionate about that when the creative director of your dreams is going to see it they're going to be blown away by your creativity because you haven't been hindered by controlling clients so that's vital. The other thing is probably getting to know the decision makers and gatekeepers at that agency because you're going to be wanting to make them when you're ready. And you also need to know what are the skills required to cope with a job at this agency. So if you can be working on your portfolio, taking online courses, as well as working the crap job, this level of focus means that when you do get an opportunity at your dream agency, those courses or those books you read on kind of management, leadership, um, you know, soft skills, talking to people, presentations, all of that will kind of benefit for you and help you when you get your opportunity. <clears throat> so let's say uh, you get to about 10 months to a year and you've managed to save what you want. So let's say a year's gone by, you've watched all of your friends get jobs at other agencies and they're all wondering what you're doing. This happened to us. And you're beginning to question like, is this worth it? Now, at this period, in about a year in, they will start to become jaded. They will start to, the novelty would have worn off. They'll be starting to get irritated by their clients, by the people they work with, their boss. And you'll start to see it change. You will have kind of began to save up enough money to make that leap. Plus, after about a year, you'll have about six months worth of savings and a shit hot portfolio. So all of that effort and graft has come to fruition. And now you can reach out and approach your dream agency. So you want to pick the best place, you've known you want to work there, whoever it is, VaynerMedia, Saatchi's, whoever, and you want to go to them, and you want to go to the person of influence who makes a decision on hiring and firing, and you want to say, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. And the offer that they cannot refuse and they will never refuse is this. I'm going to work for you for free for six months. And at the end of that six months, if I've earned it, I expect to be rewarded with a fully paid job. That's your proposition. Now, if I haven't earned it after six months of trying to impress you, I will walk away and you'll never have to worry about me again. But if I've proved it after six months, I expect to be given a job. And that's it. That's your offer. Now, no one is going to take someone who is one, 
who's developed tremendous tenacity and work ethic, who's built a really good portfolio and is offering to work for nothing. It's a no-brainer. And for six months, that's why it's six months of expenses. It's such a long time. And what that does is it buys you time to work in the dream agency when they haven't got any hold of you. They don't pay you. So if you want to leave early or you can't get in, so what? It's it's not, obviously, I, I don't advise this. You should always be present and working really hard. However, you are not contracted to them. They don't pay you. You don't owe them anything. So they don't have much control over you, but they will really want you because you've shown yourself. Plus, if you tell them, I took a crap job to build a portfolio to save money to get a job with you, and I turn down all this other work, they're going to be like, bloody hell, that's a huge compliment. So I know 100% they will never say no. So once you're in, now you are in your dream agency. Half the battle is won because you've managed to get in the door. Rewind a year ago with your design portfolio, would you got in the door? Probably not. So now you're in the door. So what you want to do is... When you're in the agency, there are three rules you need to follow when you're there. And these are the big things. And this is what I tell my kids. Number one, you have to be hardworking. It's a non-negotiable. There is no room for entitlement or expectations. You need to, like I said, be prepared to outwork everyone there. So the first requirement is always be hardworking. Make sure that when you're there, you're being diligent, you're working hard, you're impressing people, you're being positive, you're supportive. You're wanting to do the best thing you can because you don't want to look back after the six months and they say, look, you were great, but it's not going to work and then wish you'd done more. There is that phrase that there's an Australian rugby football coach called Wayne Bennett says, and it says, don't let this song die in you. As in, don't leave it out on the pitch. Don't kind of wish you'd done more after six months because it's too late. You have to be prepared. It's a non-negotiable. And I, the one caveat is this is, and we were told this, being hardworking and staying late than everyone else is different because it's easy to stay late and just be messing around. But if you're working hard, it will be shown. And we used to stay late thinking it would impress bosses until one day our boss came up to us and he said, you're here later than everyone else. Now that tells me that you can't get your work done in the nine to five period that most people can. That either means that you're slow or you're not very good at your job, but either way, it's not a good thing. So I don't want to see you here past five o'clock unless you are doing something genuinely important. So just staying late is not good enough. It can actually work against you. So what you want to do is work really hard. You're there, Work. be prepared to work long hours. And like I said, this is your time. You've worked so hard for this, don't mess it up. Number two is being likable. Now, I don't mean that you want to be kind of like uh, easy to manipulate or let people take advantage of you or just agree with everyone and come across as a little bit sort of uh, flip floppy and two faced. I mean, be positive and, and enhance and add to everything you do. Be enthusiastic, be humble, be generous and be grateful and show all the qualities that you would want from someone who you work with. Because if people like you and they can see that you're trying, they'll want to help you. And they'll be more patient and they'll support you and they'll mentor you. And all of these things, they'll give you a chance. So as well as being hardworking, being likable is right up there as well. Like I said, you can be hardworking and a dick and nobody will want to work with you. So being likable is important. And again, if you're likable, but you're lazy, again, no one will work with you. So those two things go hand in hand and they are non-negotiables. They just should be standard. 
The final bit, and this is something I didn't do, so that's why I always advise people to do it, is to get to know as many people as possible while you're there. Now, the reason being is we've all heard the phrase, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And this is absolutely true. When you're in the creative department of an agency or the design department or whatever it is, you need to get to know everyone in the department, because that makes sense, but also everyone outside of the department. So this means everyone from the doorman when you come in in the morning to all the PAs, to the accounts department, even your boss. Make sure you take the time to meet and get to know and chat with everyone in the department. Find out what they're up to, what they're passionate about. You know, you don't need to go too much into their personal lives, but just be friendly, be likable, be chatty, be sociable and, you know, ask them advice. What would they do in your situation? Is there any way that they can advise you on what you could do better? What do they look for from hiring people like you? Maybe they could introduce you to someone else that, that you should know. The whole point is this is your chance to build your network with some of the most talented people at the agency and therefore within your industry. Most industries are small places, particularly at the top where everyone wants to get in. And so if you are well-liked, well-respected, have shown a good work ethic, when you ask for favours, introductions, referrals, there's a really good chance that those people will be happy to help you. And the great advantage of this is if, even at the end of the six months, you aren't able to secure your job, you're now in this position for using that network to open up their black books to find opportunities for you. So when we get to the end of the six months, Hopefully, you have done enough to make a fantastic impression. Everyone likes you. Everyone knows you. You work really hard and they will give you a career. It's, it is it is really a case of if you can't prove yourself in six months and you probably don't deserve a job. But I'm hoping that all of this advice you will apply and they'll be like, look, we've been wanting to hire you before six months, but you wanted to give us wait till six or whatever. Who knows what's going to happen? But now you're in a really strong position to either negotiate uh, an extension of your placement, if they can't say, look, we can't give you a job, I'd love to, and I want to, and I promise when we win a new account, we'll give you a job. You can either negotiate to stay on and doing a placement now, so now you're paid for being there, or you might ask to be referred. So the point being is, if you are in a position where, so if you find yourself in a position where they might lose you to a rival, they're not going to want that to happen. But either way, you've put yourself in a really strong position. Now, the point being is, when you are in this position, hopefully you've got the job. But if you haven't, let's think about the position you're in. You've built your network within that industry. You've made loads of really great, useful contacts, people that will give you introductions, referrals, testimonials, endorsements. So you've got a really strong professional network in the industry that you want to work in at the top. And you've been working at the best agency in that industry. Your portfolio of work would have been massively enhanced by actually doing real life work. So you've got what was a brilliant portfolio, but that is now enhanced with absolutely sort of cracking real life work that's going to you know, help you. So what do you think happens when you go to the number two agency in the industry, their rivals or someone like them who is on the up? Do you think they're going to offer you a job? Absolutely. They will take you in a second because they'll be like, oh, my God, look at your portfolio, look at your reputation, look at your experience will happily have you. So even if you don't get the top agency, ideally, you will land the second best agency. And to be honest, that's amazing. And the point being is, if we'd started um, this in the very beginning, and you were like, let's rewind the clock all the way back to you graduate from your design degree, or you're, you're wanting to get a job in the industry, 
that's a long way to go. But actually, over this sort of year and a half of saving up the nest egg and then the six months of working at your dream agency, you, I would have thought, nearly always got a job at this agency or you're in a position to then get a job in a second part agency or you're in a position to like go solo with all that experience and all that help and all those references. But whatever happens, that experience and that tenacity and that work ethic that you've built within yourself is going to ensure that you're suggest you know you are successful anywhere you go your friends the ones who took their first job they took the job that they just wanted to you know they just wanted a job and they were happy and they were showing off about how great it is they will be super jealous they'll be like how the hell did you do it i i can't believe it you got into that place and i'm still stuck here yeah because this is the strategy this is the way to do it there's no there are other ways like we did working 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 for 18 months to slowly get your way in the door this is the way I should have done it. If I'd done this, it would have been a no-brainer. I would have got straight to the top easily. So although to kind of wrap this up, this sounds like some sort of secret formula. It is. It's, a, it's not really a hack. It's just how it should be done. But it takes an enormous amount of long-term commitment, discipline and hard work. Because even just building saying no to building up the nest egg that, you know, and, and putting off kind of enjoyment and like other jobs in smaller agencies, which would be really tempting... That discipline, it, it's so hard to acquire. But if you can get it, you'll never be the same again. No one will be able to sort of persuade you to do things you don't want to do. You'll also walk away with a massively improved network, hopefully your dream job, and that's it. But like I said, this is this takes discipline. It's unconventional, but it's absolutely worth it. And as I said, if you even if you apply this and you don't succeed or whatever, it doesn't work out, the only way is down. You're starting at the top. You're going to number two or three agency in the industry versus trying to work your way up. It's impossible. It's not going to happen. So like I said, this is what I should have done. This is what I tell everyone to do, but you won't hear it anywhere else because they'll be telling you a much more slow, you know, conventional approach. You know, so this is my answer for how you land your dream job or how you land your dream client. The approach is still the same. Your nest egg is your secret weapon. Your work ethic is what you're going to do to beat everyone else. And being likable, hard, working hard and getting to know all the right people will stand you in good stead in whatever career and in whatever industry you want to go into. So I hope you found all of that helpful and uh, useful. And certainly it would really mean the world to me if you could share it with anyone who you think would also benefit from that, particularly people who are kind of looking to change up what they're doing and maybe land the dream job of, them, of their own. Um, as always, I want to help you. If you want to have any contact with me or you want to have any questions answered by me, you can join the private Facebook group. Just search Thaducation on Facebook or you can send me an email to thad at thaducation.com. I'm always happy to help out where I can. All I can say is I hope you have a great day. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Best of luck with whatever you're doing. And uh, thank you very much. Mm